Micah chapter 6 this morning. Let, let, let me just, I guess, I guess let's start out like this maybe to kind of get the mind processing a little bit. Do you ever wonder what does God expect from you? No? Do you ever wonder what, what is it that God wants me to do in my life? You know what I'm talking about? Do you wonder what God requires of you? Do, do you want to live a life that's pleasing to God? Does it matter to you whether or not God is pleased with your life? Raise your hand if you want God to be pleased. Would you like to know what God requires of you in order for you and I to be pleasing to God? The text says here in Micah chapter 6, I want to read one passage in verse number 8. It says that he hath shown the old man. That sounds pretty simplistic, doesn't it? He hath shown the old man what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. I want to look this morning just for a few minutes at God's expectation. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. Thank you for loving us beyond our sin, beyond our fault, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, I pray you'd forgive us of our many faults and failures, anything that would hinder your sweet Holy Spirit from moving in this place this morning, God. I pray that you'd move among us, your people. I pray you'd speak to us clearly and openly and plainly, God. I pray you'd help us to walk out a better servant, God. I pray most of all that everything we do in this place on this day be found pleasing to you, God. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Michael was a prophet, roughly 736 to 700 B.C. He was a contemporary, if you would, a younger contemporary of the great prophet Isaiah. His very name, the name Micah, means who is like Jehovah. We don't really know a lot about him outside of what he tells us. Chapter 1 and verse 1, he tells us he was a Morseite. And he tells that he prophesied during the reigns of, of Jotham, Ahaz, and, and Hezekiah. We see from his writings and the things that, that he puts here that he is primarily a prophet to Samaria and to Jerusalem. Um, in, in the days of Michael, we see that there's a lot of sin among God's people. Matter of fact, Jerusalem and Judea and the northern kingdom of Israel, there, there is sin as rampant throughout God's people, throughout the nation of Israel. And idolatry, we see, if you read the letter, you read the entire text, you see that idolatry is a big deal. And we know that's a big deal to God. Amen. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'm a very jealous God, visiting the iniquity of third, fourth generations. We know that idolatry is a big deal to God. Idolatry is anything that you put before God. It doesn't have to be a little golden calf or a wooden trinket. It is anything that we put in our life before God is a big deal to God. And we know that, that idolatry here is a big deal as, as he writes this letter. We, we see here as he talks about the leaders of the nation of Israel and how the leaders are full of pride. They're, they're puffed up. They're, they're cruel towards people. They're addicted to living a life of luxury. We're, we're coming onto the hills of Jonah, but the time has long since passed uh, of the days of Jonah where Jonah went and warned the Ninevites. God gave the Ninevites an opportunity to repent. You know, the Ninevites were brutal to the nation of Israel. They were brutal to the Jews, and that's why Jonah hated them so bad. But but God had sent the warning there, and they had 
repented in sackcloth and ashes. And there was that time of peace, but that time has long since passed. The Assyrians, the, the Ninevites, they have put off their sackcloth and ashes. They've put back on their articles of war, and they're, and they're prepared back to be ruthless. And now we're standing on the doorstep of the destruction of the nation of Israel. It's not because the Assyrians are so strong, although they are incredibly strong. It's not because of the wickedness of the Assyrians, although they are a brutally wicked, mean people. But the reason that we're standing on the doorstep of the destruction of God's people is because of the wickedness of God's people. Maybe I need to... Maybe I need to pause right there a minute. The reason we are looking at the destruction of God's people has nothing to do with the power or the wickedness of the enemy. The reason we're about to see what's going to happen to God's people is because of the sin-filled life of God's people. It is God's people that he's looking to bring judgment on. So in chapter 1 of Micah, we see the sin of the northern kingdom is so bad that it has basically been written off by the prophet. He says that her wound is incurable. We see that that sin has bled into Judah and Jerusalem, the heartbeat of the homeland. The sin has reached into the innermost core of God's people, but it is not yet incurable. There at the heart. Chapter 4, Micah begins dealing with the last day in verse 1. That in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Chapter 5, if you want to move to verse number 1 of chapter 5, he begins dealing with the great promises concerning the Messiah that is to come. He's, he's moving forward in time. He says, gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops, he hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. I said earlier that, that Micah is a young contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. Many of their writings parallel. As a matter of fact, if you take those three verses that we just read there, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, they're almost identical word for word. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. And that's not known. Did one read the other one and then repeat that? Or did they both read from someone else? Or is it the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit of God? This simply sounded the warning through both men almost identically. But when it comes to the Messiah, I, Isaiah gives us the promise that the Messiah will come through a virgin birth. But what we see here is Micah even gives us the exact city where the Messiah is going to be born. See, all of the, all of the little details of the Bible matter. 
The fact that he said he would be born at Bethlehem, that, that's the reason that Mary had to travel with Joseph. That's the reason they had to go to Bethlehem to pay taxes at the exact time when the baby was to be delivered. They weren't from Bethlehem. They had to travel to Bethlehem that prophecy might be fulfilled, that the scriptures might be fulfilled into absolute perfection. So Micah points out the sins of the people. He, he prophesies of the doom that is to come. He has no way of knowing how many centuries that doom was going to carry over. He had no way of knowing how many centuries God's people would be under the chains of bondage. But one thing he knew is that judgment of God's people because of sin was inevitable. God will not allow his people to continue in sin. And so the prophet is writing, because of the sin of God's elect, judgment is certain. He prophesies of the times of renewal. But then in chapter 6, he brings us back to the current. He, he's talked about times past. He's talked about times coming. But then he comes to the current. Chapter 6, verse 1, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath the controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, redeemed thee out of the house of servants. I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people. Remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered, and from Shittim until Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. But, but we get back to our text at verse number 8. What does God expect from his children? What did God expect from the Jew? What does God expect from me? What does God expect from you? It's all his children. So it all boils down to what does God expect from his own. In the book of Deuteronomy, God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. He would put them on the two tablets of stone. You remember Moses came down and the people had had Aaron build that golden calf and they were worshiping it. And, and he lost his cool with the people. He broke the tablets of stone. You remember he crushed the golden calf into powder and made him drink of it. But then God had him hewn out two more stones. He said, go back and I'll write down the things that I wrote the first time and I'll give them to you again. And then God talks about how he delivered his people out of Egypt and all that he's done for them. But then in verse number 12 of Deuteronomy chapter 10, he says, Now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God? to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for good. Psalms chapter 40, David wrote and he said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man 
that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside the lies. Verse number 5 says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. Anybody say amen to that? Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to us where they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Anybody say amen to that? We can't count the goodness of God. We can't count the blessings of God. We can't begin to fathom all of the things that God has done just in our lives alone. Verse number 6, Psalms chapter 40. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. David says, you've not asked me for offering. It's not sacrifice that you're looking for. It's not come and beg and plead and say, I'm sorry again that you're looking for. It's not continue to bring sacrifice for the sin that you're looking for. It's, it's what, what you want me to do is your will. It's not sacrifice that's pleasing to you, but to do thy will. Hebrews chapter 10, we have the writings of David quoted back to us again. Chapter 10, verse 1, we have the law of the shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. Can, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then will they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. When he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Somebody ought to say thank you, Jesus. What does God want from you? What, is, what does God want from you and I? What does God expect out of our lives on a day-to-day -day basis? Is it for us to be a better witness? Does God expect us to be a better witness at the store? A better witness in, in our community? A, a better neighbor? Does God expect us to be a better witness at our schools? A better witness at our, at our workplace? The, I mean, the commandment is to go you therefore and tell all nations, teach all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching to observe all things that I've commanded you, right? So, so is that what God expects for us to be a, a better witness? Does God expect us to pray more? I mean, the Word of God says pray without ceasing. Men ought always to pray. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Is that what God expects every day, that we should pray more? Does God expect that we should read the Bible more? Does God expect that we ought to spend more time diving into His Word and, and reading and, and learning and studying and putting things in there? Does, does God expect that you ought to be more involved in church? 
Does God expect that you need to be more involved in the ministries of the church? You need to be plugged in. You need to be doing things. You need to be here when the doors open. Or you, you, you need to be involved in programs and, and children's ministries. Does God expect those things? Does God expect you to, to be a teacher? Does God expect you to be a preacher, maybe a, a gospel singer? Does God expect you to be an evangelist, a missionary? What are the things that God expects? All of those things are byproducts of the first thing God expects. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. That's what God expects out of you and I. To love him. He loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross to give us a relationship with him. And what God expects for you and I is to love God first. And all of these other things are just byproducts. If we love God, we'll want to serve in the church. If we love God, we'll want to pray. If we love God, we'll want to read his word. If we love God, we'll want to be kind to others. So what does God expect? Well, our text says, number one, that he wants us to do justly. This is what I require of thee. God, God, God says, oh man, he writes this to you and I. He said, this is what I require of you. You want to know what I want you to do is my children. Here it is, black and white, plain and simple written. I want you to do justly. It comes from a word that just means do right. I just want you to do right. I, I just want you to talk right. I want your vocabulary to be becoming of a child of God. I, I just want you to act right. I want you to act different than the hellions out there in the world. I want you to act different than you did before you were washed in the blood of the Lamb. I just want you to act right. I'm not asking you to be anything special. I'm not asking you to preach around the world. I'm not asking you to be a missionary. He said, I just want you to act right. So I want you to talk right. I want you to act right. I just want you to treat other people right. I just want you to love the brethren for by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. I just want you to love the world out there. Not the sin, not the garbage, not the filth, not the things that they take on, but, but the sinner. I want you to love the sinner. I want you to love them in spite of their sin the same way I loved you in spite of your sin. I want people to see a difference in you because you bear the image of me. He says, I just want you to talk right. I just want you to act right. I want you to treat other people right. God says, I'm, I'm not looking for anything great. I just want you to be polite. I just want you to hold the door open, men for ladies, when they come in. I, I, I just want you to, to speak kind-hearted of one another. I, I, just, I just want you to greet one another with a brotherly kiss. I just want you to be patient towards one another. Long-suffering, you know the way I've been patient with you. I just want you to be forgiving of one another the way I've been forgiving of you. I, 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 I just want you to be kind. But then he says, and love mercy. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7, he said, Blessed are the merciful. Why is the merciful blessed? For they shall obtain what? How many of you, when you stand before the throne room of God, want mercy? 
<laughs> Glory to God, I want lots. Bucket fulls. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. The word merciful used in that text comes from a word that simply means kindness. It means we're to be kind. Noah Webster's 1828, it gives a definition as having mercy, exercising compassion, being kind or tender, willing to forgive others their offenses and unwilling to punish. Desiring to offer kindness and unwilling to offer pain or cruelty. You know, everybody loves mercy when we're the recipient of it, right? You know, if you're, while we're on our law enforcement, if you're driving 100 mile an hour over the speed limit and, and you run by one of those guys, you can expect them to pay you Kind little visit, correct? You can expect him to walk up to your window, license insurance. I say, what in the world are you in such a hurry about? But it's not going to end there. That's going to result in, a, in some loss of some driving privileges. Fines probably into the thousands. Wouldn't it be awesome to, to go to the judge and, and you know you're in trouble? You understand what you're up against. You understand the seriousness of your crime. By now, somebody's probably already pointed out what, what the law is going to do. And, and the judge shows you mercy. You, you know you're probably going to lose your license, and he takes them off his desk and hands them back to you. He says, I'm going to hand you these back. And he picks up a stack of papers that has the list of the fines that add in, into the thousands and say, all this is yours, but i tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to give you your license back, and I'm going to drop all these in the trash this time. Now I want you to go, and I don't want you to do it anymore. See, here's the deal. You, you didn't plea. You didn't come in and ask for anything. You simply walked up. You had no choice but to plead guilty when you walked up because they clocked you. They know you were doing it. And, and it's not like you worked it off. He didn't say you got to pick up trash for the next 55, 65 years to try to work it off. There's nothing to do to work off your debt. He, he didn't say, I'm going to expect anything from you. He simply took away your fines and gave you back your license. That's called mercy. He didn't require anything from you. That's what God did for us. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. It's not like we haven't broken the law. Anybody in here ever not broken one of God's laws? You raise your lying hand. Anybody not broken one today? See, we still. It's not like we have not broken the laws of God. It's not like we're not guilty. It's not like God would not be right if he judged us. It's not like God would not be right if he condemned us. It's not like God would not be right if he sent us to hell. If God sent me to hell today, he would be right. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that he doesn't. He says, I look at all of your guilt. I look at all of your shame. 
I don't know what all kind of baggage and trash you got, but I know what I got. And it blows my mind that God could love something like me, that God could forgive something like me, that God could go to prepare a place for something like me and be willing to come again and get me to where he is, that I can be there with him. Why would he even want me around him? Blows my mind that God could show me that kind of mercy. But God says, here's what I want of you. Show the same thing for other people. Be merciful. I've forgiven you. You know, he gives us a story in the text about the one man that was forgiven the debt, and he went out on the street and found somebody that owed him a little bit, and he beat him up to get the money back. That, that, that's us. God has forgiven us of so much. He says, why would we go out against little things that people have done and hold grudges against other people? God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be merciful. I want you to do right. I want you to be forgiving. I want you to be kind-hearted. But then he says, I want you to walk humbly with me. Not proud. Not arrogant. Not boasting. I just, I just want you to walk humbly. If God says, I want you to walk humbly with me, then what that tells me is God plans on walking right beside me. Isn't it awesome that God would even want to walk with me? Here in our text is one of only two times in all the scriptures, in, in, in the King James, that, that's, on, that's where I read, but that we find this word humbly. The, the writer of the book of Hebrews said there, we just read in chapter 10, verse 7, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. That word meek comes from a word that simply means humble. That word lowly comes from a word that simply means humble. Jesus said, I have come to do the Father's will, and I've come to do so humbly. I know I've preached at least once on the passage the Apostle Paul wrote, Chapter 12, verse number 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He goes on and says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is a living sacrifice? What is a living sacrifice? Sacrifice. We know a sacrifice. Sacrifice means something's got to suffer, right? But what is a living sacrifice? It means I just want you to live pleasing. I just want you to live a a according to, to the book. I, I just want you to, to do right. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? I need to read that one again. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Proverbs 21.3, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Hosea said in chapter 6, verse 6, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. 
Psalms chapter 51, David said, Thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Jeremiah chapter 7 says in verse 22, I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt, offering, burnt offerings or sacrifices. He says, that's, that's not the things we're trying to get to. He says, but this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. How many people would love to do the will of God? I mean, you truly want to know the will of God for your life. How many, how many people, how, how many of you, we, we've talked about it before, you, you would love to do something today, something today to make God smile. Would that be awesome? To do something in my life that would please the creator of the universe. That a simple little no good sinner like me would do something that would cause the God who spanned the heavens, telleth the numbers of the stars, calleth them all by name, sprinkled everything there is, knows the numbers of the sands of the sea, he knows everything and all things, that that creator of all things that could just think a thought and everything appears, that, that we, me, I, you, in our life could do something that would make that God smile. Does it seem impossible? It's not what God said. God said, what does the Lord require of thee? To do justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. Following God doesn't seem quite as difficult, does it? See, we, we live in a world where we even try to regiment the church. We, we try to legalize even God's word. Sorry, but legalism is killing the church. How you got to dress, how you got to talk, how you got to look, how you got to act, legalism is killing the church. Trying to make, you know, if you want to do right, then you got to look like so-and-so. No, if you want to do right, you got to look like Christ. We've got the wrong benchmarks. We've got all these substandards set by man that, hey, if you want to be pleasing to God, you've got to do this, 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 this. That's not what God said. God said, I just want you to do right. I just want you to live right. I just want you to love people. You want to please me? That, that's all you've got to do. And, you know, the truth is if Christ truly lives in us, it wouldn't be quite as hard. If Christ truly is the driving force that drives us, it wouldn't be quite as hard. Do you know what God sincerely, sincerely desires from you? <laughs> A relationship. That's all he wants. Do you know God loves you so much? That he sent Jesus Christ to Calvary's cross to be beaten, that, that brutal beating, to be crucified on that cross just because his relationship with you and I was broken. 
And he did it all just to get the relationship back. You, you, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Just a mental thought. How many of you didn't have a good relationship with your child? How many of you have a good relationship with your parents? You know, family relationship, love relationship, love one another. That, that's all God is looking for out of you and I. So we try to complicate things. And I'm certainly not taking out the work of the church. Those are the things you do because you love God. You come to church because you love God. You sing in the choir because you love God. You work in children's ministry because you love God. You, you teach or preach or do whatever you do because you love God and you're called of God to do those things. But all of those things are byproducts. That's not the requirement. God said, I just want you to do justly. I just want you to, want you to be merciful, to love mercy. And I just want you to walk humbly with me. Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome to know that God was sitting up there and looked down and smiled at you? I want to ask you if you would to stand. I'm going to ask everybody to stand right where you are this morning. Band, you guys can come on. You got a song. I, the altar's always open. We don't, we don't ever close the altar, and you know that, and you're welcome to pray where you are. Last week, I probably didn't finish the message because last week we, we talked about forgiveness as the key. And the reason I figure I didn't finish it because I got home and I sat down and I, and I was doing a little bit of reading and I opened something up on my, on my phone and I opened a devotion. And you know what the devotion, one or two things, either I didn't finish the message or I didn't get the message. Because after I preached on forgiveness as the key, and I went home and opened a devotion. You know what the devotion was on? <laughs> Forgiveness. I found all kind of stuff in there I could have used for the message. So, so I looked at the fact that, that last week we looked at how so many people are, are bound by so much. Is that me? I looked at the fact that, that people are, are bound by unforgiveness, bound in so many things. But the same thing is true. We're, we're running around trying to do all these things pleasing to God. God says, it's, it's not that complicated. God says, I love you. And all I want you to do is to be merciful. All, all I want you to do is to do right. Forgive other people. And then here's what he says. And then I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk in you. And we're going to have a relationship. And Christianity is all about the relationship. I'm going to ask you what these guys are going to sing. If you just want to come down and pray, say, God, just, just help me. I, see, for me, I, I, need, I need help with those simple things. That seems to simplify it for me. God says, I just want you to do right. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Until I get back out there and drive among them knuckleheads. I just, I just want you to, to be merciful. That sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Until somebody crosses me, and now I'm supposed to give the same kind of mercy to them that God gave to me. I, I just want you to talk right. I just want you to live right. I just want you to do right. Seems simple enough sitting inside these four walls surrounded by people who love the Lord. But when we walk back out there, it's a challenge. So here's the challenge to pray. God, help me. Be what you would have me to be.
Help me to be this person. This is what God said. Do you remember in the text? It said, this is what I will what? I will require of thee. This is what I require. God, if that's what you require, then that's what I want to do. I want to be that person, but I can't do it on my own. But I know the Holy Spirit in can help me. I want you to just come and let's just pray together and say, God, help us be pleasing to you. If we have one heart's desire in this life, I can't imagine a heart's desire greater than being pleasing to God Almighty. If I could have you bow your heads for just a minute. Isn't it awesome, Christians, to be able to run to the Father again and again? Isn't it awesome to come and say, Lord, it's me again? He doesn't shut the door and push us away in spite of our repeated mistakes. I just wonder if there's anybody that has never run to the Father the first time, has never run to the Father and confessed their sins the first time. The Word of God says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus Christ for payment for my sin, for my debt, that I could be saved. God took the broken fellowship with man, the the brokenness of sin from Adam and Eve, and he restored it through the blood of his own son that we might be one with him. And he says, here it is. It's a nice gift. It's offered to you. It's called salvation. Restoration, forgiveness of sin, old things pass away, all things become new. The new name in heaven written in the Lamb's book of life. God says it's all available. It's only available through my son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says there must be a confession of our sins. We know we're sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that. Every one of us in here know that we're a sinner. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and that death is hell. That is separation from God. That is the second death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God says, I'm offering my gift to you. I wonder if there's anybody maybe out on live stream, maybe somebody here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today. It can be your day. The gift is always available. It's never taken away. It's always offered. It's up to you to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and save my soul. I don't want to be a sinner. I sure don't want to go to hell. I just want to be a child of God, and I know that's only possible through Jesus Christ. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You believe that he's born of a virgin named Mary. You believe that he died on Calvary's cross for your sin. You believe that he rose from the grave on the third day to conquer death, hell, and the grave, that he might offer us eternal life. I said, God, I believe all those things. I'm just asking you to forgive me my sins and save my soul in Jesus' name. God is faithful and just to forgive all those that will come and ask. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, I thank you, Father, for the simplicity of your word. Lord, we try to complicate things and make it so much. The Lord is actually quite simple. You created man and all that there is. Mankind sinned and created separation. You created a gift to restore 
unity with you. And that's the gift of God, and that's where salvation is. One day you're going to come get us again and take us to where you are. You've given us a book. Give us a book to live by, an instruction book. We try to complicate so much. We try to add so many man-made laws and legalisms into it. But your word simply says you just want us to do right. You just want us to forgive others, be merciful, walk humbly with you. God, when you look at the simplicity of it, it doesn't seem all that much to be pleasing to you, but we sure make a lot out of it. I pray you'd help each one of us in this place, God, every family represented, God. I pray you'd help us to fulfill your word, to be pleasing to you, to be merciful, to do right, to walk humbly in your sight. We love you, God. You've been good to us. We just want to tell you thank you, Father. We love you and we praise you in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen.